It's always game day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. And we bring in Meredith Kane. Meredith, we haven't really heard from you in the first couple of podcasts, but now you are all in, and you're going to help us out with the mailbag. Yeah, we tweeted out from at game day CLE. We wanted your questions. We got a ton of really good questions, so we're going to get right into it. We're going to start with Ramos at Where is Ramos. If the Browns don't re-sign Clowney, what are their best options opposite of Miles Garrett? I have a quick answer on this, Daryl, and I, I, I really want to hear what your answer is. I, I don't know. Are they – I mean, Chase Winovich, see, it seems like a place they – like, I don't think they're going to make any more moves. I think Winovich is, is going to have a, a, an unbelievable opportunity to, to make his mark here in Cleveland, and, he's all, and you also have Alex Wright. But what, what do you, outside of those guys, what do you think? I, I, I think that's the road that they're going to go. If they don't bring back Clowney, they're going to go with what they have on the roster. And – they really like Alex Wright. They feel like he has the potential to uh, be an impact player. I don't know necessarily what type of an impact he's going to have uh, as a rookie. Uh, Third-round pick, though, uh, we, we see th- you know third, fourth-round guys all the time uh, come out and do some pretty uh, you know great things in the league. So I think it comes down to a competition between Alex Wright and Chase Minovich uh, in training camp. So I'll follow up on that question. This is not Ramos. This is my question to you guys. Right. So I'm uh, virtually tweeting at Game Day CLE. If Jadavion Clowney <laughs> does not re-sign with the Browns, where do you think he'll wind up? Oh, that's a good question. I think whoever wants to write the biggest check. What do you think, Joe? Bingo. Yeah, he yeah. – again, <laughs> I, I like guys that are open, honest, candid. I, I have no problems with players saying it's all about the money, and that's basically what Jadavian Clowney said in his season-ending press conference at First Energy Stadium after that uh, season finale, the win over the Bengals. He's like, hey, man, I this is my chance to get paid, man. I got through the season healthy. I feel great. I'm not falling apart for the first time in a long time, so this is my chance to kind of cash in. I think that Jadavian Clowney felt like he was going to get a multi-year contract this offseason that was going to pay him some rather – large money I don't know necessarily that that market has materialized he's not in a hurry to sign I don't think that's necessarily reason for anybody to worry I think that that's uh, Jadavian Clowney remember it took him a while to sign with the Browns last offseason you know part of this too is guys just don't want to come in some of these guys don't want to come in and do the offseason program stuff whether it's the OTAs mandatory minicamp and all that type of stuff but yeah I I think that uh, Jadavian Clowney will go where he can get paid boom our next question comes from Will Reese at W Reese 27 on Twitter. Do you think they sign Fuller? I do not. I, I, th- I think that pretty much this offseason, the Browns are done, so to speak, uh, shopping. Um, I, I, I think that I would like them to sign Will Fuller. That would be great. Um, I just don't think realistically I would be disingenuous to our audience if I was like, oh, yeah, they're going to go after Will Fuller. They're definitely in the running. They, you know, I just I don't know that that's uh, realistic at this point uh, as far as uh, where Andrew Barry is thinking, because remember, Barry needs to sign some or I should say Barry needs to save some salary cap space here, too. They've spent a lot of cash already this offseason. Uh, they need to save some cap space uh, because they're going to have to do some restructures in the coming years. Barry has to look for today as well as look for uh, tomorrow. I think he had a uh, last year. I think he played for like $10 million. Um, I, I don't know that Barry would wants to 
you know, spend that much money uh, at, at this point. So I, I just I feel like it. I feel like it's unrealistic. I don't know how Andy feels, but that's just the, where I'm at. I just don't see them going out. I mean, as much as you may like Wolf, and obviously he's got some experience, and it'd be great to bring him in. You already have you know two guys on that uh, in that wide receiving core that are six foot. I mean, you you brought in David Bell for a reason. So you've got Amari Cooper, who's like what six, maybe six six one. David Bell's in the same place right there. I, I mean, I, I just don't know if bringing in another receiver like that, although it'd be great to have him, and I would love to see him on the team. I just don't – like, would they be duplicating something that they think they might be able to get out of David Bell? That's the only you – know, is every wide receiver on this team going to be six foot? I don't yeah. know if that's the answer. <laughs> well, right? and I want to put a bow on Jar- – we, we kind of put a bow on Baker Mayfield. I kind of want to yeah. put a bow on the Jarvis Landry conversation real quick too because <laughs> sure. it ties into Will Fuller. Look, if the Browns wanted to keep Jarvis Landry, they would have kept Jarvis Landry. I just – this constant dissection of Jarvis Landry and the contract he got from the Saints. And, well, why didn't the Browns do that? The Browns could have done that. Look, they didn't want to do it. That's why. They didn't want to do it, clearly. So, end of story. If they wanted to keep him, they could have. They decided not to. They made a business decision. They made a football decision. End of story Next. Our next question comes from Joey C at the Browns fan 123 on Twitter. He has a question and a request. His request says, okay. please share more stories of behind the scenes and past Browns years. Those are fun to hear, but we're going to put a pin in that because we're definitely going to do that later. So stay sure. tuned, Joey C. We will get to that part. But his question is, do you think Perry on Winfrey makes a huge impact in the defense this year? I'll, I'll lead it for a second. I, it, the Browns better believe that he's going to because the investment that they've made in that defensive front isn't what they've done in other positions. So, um, Daryl, that's the one spot that really scares me is the interior defensive line. And if you're going to spend a fourth – yes, spend a fourth-round pick. I don't know if the, what that means. Does that mean that he's got to play right away? No, but I hope he can. I mean, look, if he can, if he can live up to the words that are coming out of his mouth, he'll be an all-pro. Yeah, <laughs> I agree 100%. He really is a ball of energy. We've talked about it. Um, and he, he looks big in person. <laughs> See, seeing right. him one-on-one, he looks like a he, he's a pretty big guy. But um, he's going to get the opportunity, uh, Joey. That's that's the, the answer to the question. I know that's not the crystal clear cut answer you're looking for, but he is going to get the opportunity. Uh, you look at the interior defensive line. You've got Tommy Togiai, fourth-round pick from last year out of Ohio State. Jordan Elliott right now I've got penciled in as one of the starting defensive tackles. I don't know if Sheldon Day or Taven Bryan is the other starting defensive tackle at this point. Um, they've got uh, 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 another uh, rookie, a couple of them I should say, uh, Gwen Logan and, and Perry are in there too. Roderick Perry? Yeah, okay. yeah Roderick Perry. So there, there's not a lot of depth uh on that defensive line, not named Miles Garrett. Let's let's just be honest about it. That's not to say they don't have talent at those positions. It's just right now it's an unknown quantity. So, yeah, Perry and Winfrey absolutely will have an opportunity to contribute. Will he? Unfortunately, we don't know that just yet. We'll see. All right, we got two more questions. This one comes from at Browns Elf 2022. How important are relationships between media and players as well as media and fans? Um, I, you know, when I look at that question, I just think, you know, questions don't matter a lot of times when it comes from the reporter, because it's the answers that matter when you're listening to what a player's saying, because that's really what the fans want. And I don't know, I've always felt like, and I'm sure, Dar- I, 
interesting to hear what Daryl has to say about this too, that we've always been this conduit to try to be able to help you. Well, I think the conduit's changed dramatically because fans have the opportunity through social media to try to contact players, uh, you know, one-on-one. And sometimes players want to respond, sometimes they don't. Uh, I do like social media sometimes because, uh, especially for the players on one side, because it gives them the opportunity to say things in full sound bites. Like, you know, sometimes when we do a 2020, you're only going to hear like 15 seconds of what somebody said. So um, the one thing about, you know, new media I think that is exciting is that it gives players a little bit more of an opportunity, but it also gives us like, you know, even on this podcast, it gives us a chance to talk a little bit more about our, our feelings and our emotions sometimes. And I do think that the relationship between players and media is, is very, very important. And I think it helps out fans. Um, if there's a good relationship between the media and the players. We, you, we know what it looks like when it's ugly, and then people either want to turn on the media or they want to turn on the player. And the the interesting thing is, and I think I learned this right away when I was covering the Indians and, and with, when I was with them every day, and Daryl can, can speak to this too, that there's a huge difference between being a reporter that just jumps in every once in a while and doesn't really have a good feel for a locker room or a clubhouse and somebody who is there every day. There's a different relationship. And, you know, you get to build these relationships, and sometimes players want the story to be told. Sometimes they don't. And sometimes you're just sitting there and, and you're talking, and you really get to know these people. And I think sometimes when I look at people call someone a bum, it drives me nuts because, you know, a player who makes it to the highest level in sports, and this is just me talking as a sports person, it is impossible. I mean, look at the percentages of how high it is how hard it is to become a professional athlete. And when I hear fans in the stands call someone a bum or call someone bad, or that, that guy is a thousand times better than the best guy you ever played with in high school. And I think fans lose perspective of that sometimes because of the entertainment aspect of it. So um, I, I've always been really sensitive to that, about especially someone who would call someone a bum. Like, that drives me nuts because, that, I mean, if you don't spend five seconds with someone – I think that's kind of a personal attack, um, and these guys put tons of work into it. And, yes, every once in a while we have guys that don't want to be there, and it, it's funny when the stories come out, but I don't know. That relationship uh, is gigantic, and uh, and building those relationships, especially where Daryl is right now, it's, it, it is like the lifeline of your, of your livelihood. Correct? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I would say critical. Um, you know, there's nothing more uncomfortable than when a player is beefing with a member of the media, especially in the group setting now. Um, and we've seen that the last couple of years, you know, with, with Baker Mayfield. It, 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 there are times where it's just really uncomfortable to be around. And so um, I, I've always tried to treat players with respect. Uh, I, you know, uh, I, I'm there to convey their message to the fans. Social media today has afforded uh, athletes the opportunity to convey their own message and not really have to use the media as much uh, to do that. Uh, they, they can do it unfiltered. They can do it in a live environment as well. They can hop on Instagram Live or uh, Twitter has a li- uh, has a, a live feature, uh, tweets, uh, Instagram posts. I mean, you know, all that kind of stuff becomes news. Um but, yeah, it, it, it comes down to treating uh, players with respect. Um, I don't go into a locker room trying to get a guy. I don't go after guys. Uh, I'm not out to get anybody. Uh, I'm not out to make anyone look bad. I'm not out to make anyone look good. I'm not there to be anybody's friend. 
You know, I'm not there to go get beers with somebody after practice or whatever. That That's not the job. Uh, my job is to convey to fans what's going on with the team and the players on the team. And sometimes the picture, especially over the years with the Browns, it's a very ugly picture to paint. Um, I go back to uh, the story I told uh, on, the, on, uh, on a previous podcast, right? Uh, Duke Johnson being very, very angry with me because uh, I made a snide comment on Twitter uh, on a video that I posted of guys dancing. Uh, players are missing reps. Coaches are yelling at the players for missing reps. The team is not focused. They're not winning football games. So uh, it got to a point where I felt fans really needed to know that, that you know this is, the, this is the clown stuff that was going on at practice. And this is part of the reason why they're not winning. <laughs> uh, and they don't seem to really care that they're not winning, even though deep down they do. And that's, and that's why Duke had the problem with me, because, of course, he cared about winning and losing games. Uh, and he felt personally insulted that I would say something like that. And th so that happens. Um, and anytime you have those disagreements with players, it's important to, you know, clear the air with that guy there, because again, you know, there's nothing worse than having an adversarial relationship. And then, and I'll be honest with fans, there have been times in recent years where going to cover the Browns has felt like a 100% complete adversarial relationship and environment um and that's that's not the way it's supposed to be and it, it's not the way it needs to be it's not the way it should be so yeah it's important is it important for fans uh, you know um I, on my skin obviously I admit needs to be thicker than it is but it's tough when you get a thousand people tweeting expletives and obscenities at you and vulgarities um, it's tough to have thick skin in the, in that regard. Um, I, I try and, and channel uh, what players and coaches always talk about as far as tuning out the noise. It I get it, man. It's it's hard, man. It, it really is hard to to tune out the noise. And and I have a lot of respect for professional athletes, like Andy said. I mean, they have reached the highest level of co competitive sport. And they are paid professionally, and they're paid a lot of money, you know, uh, to do right. what they do. And so there's some inherent built-in respect there. But I can't stress enough: I am never there to make somebody look bad or look good. I'm not there to be their friend. I'm not out to get anybody. I'm not, uh, you know, uh, I'm not out out to attack somebody personally or even professionally. If the guy's not playing well. Unfortunately, I got to say he's not playing well. The least favorite part of my job, believe it or not, is to say a team or a player sucks. I, I know that's shocking for people to hear because we do it so much, but right. I, I don't like doing it because, yeah, I, I can't do what they do. <laughs> I, I just, I can't. I'm not qualified. I'm not built for it. I don't have the mental skill. I don't have the physical skill. That's the least part of the job is, it, is to tell fans, yeah, your team sucks this year. Sorry. Quarterback sucks. Receiver sucks. Offensive lines. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, just, it, it's not fun. Right. Um, I, I much prefer uh, covering, uh, you know, uh, winning teams and, uh, because everyone's usually most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time when teams are winning, guys are in good moods and, and stuff like that. Covering losing teams is just really, really hard because nobody wants to talk. Um, you know, uh, the media is not wanted in the locker room. 
because obviously a lot of the stories aren't very positive and the players don't want uh, to deal with negative stories or negative storylines and stuff like that. But yeah, relationships matter uh, in our business. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I'm going to add one little piece to this too. For an athlete to get good press, all they really need to do is say, hi, I hate to say this. There's a difference between an athlete that walks around the clubhouse or walks around the, the locker room with a scowl on their face like, I always I, – it's a pretty simple rule. I mean, like, if I see somebody – and we all – you know, I'm not saying go out of your way to say hi to somebody, but if you're walking by somebody, you can always just say, hey, hey. And a reporter's going to look at that guy and go, oh, that guy's not such a bad guy. And then it becomes harder to write or say or, or, or have this bad attitude towards an athlete when all they had to do was say hi in the first place. I'm not expecting everybody Yeah, because if day. we know you don't like us already – and we feel like we're already fighting the uphill battle. That that it makes it's it a makes lot that, easier. It, oh, yeah. it's it, it it it. First of all, it's very uncomfortable, right? Because there are times like isn't it ba- amazing though? I'll use Baker Darryl, as an I mean, example. It, like when Baker yeah. would come into the locker room, like I I know that that's the last place Baker Mayfield wants to be. Now he would he was professional. He stood up there. He would answer the questions. But like I knew that that's the last place he wanted to be was answering questions from reporters, right? And that's right. something that's not something you want to exude privately. You can be like these dirty, rotten sons of guns and whatever. Right. right? You never want to project that you hate the media because once the media knows you hate them. Yeah, that, you know, and, 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 and again, these guys are human beings. They have families who read and hear and see and, and all that stuff. And I'm sure they hear and see it as well. It, it does the human element unfortunately in our business does get lost right because it's become media relationships media relationships today are a lot more antiseptic than they used to be because it's get in get your soundbite get out or get in get your quote and get out right and there the the days of being able to just walk up and have a 20 minute conversation with a guy those those aren't there anymore because if players don't have to be in the locker room when the media is in there, they're not. They stay away. Um, but, you know, remembering that these guys are, are, are people and not treating them transactionally, you know what I'm saying? Like just a, a name on a locker or a name on a door. And it's hard to do when you have an organization and a team that just has constant turnover and you don't get to know guys and they're here for a year or two and then they're gone. That, that that makes it even more uh, difficult when you have that revolving door. But, yeah, you know, uh, I always try and remember uh, that these guys are human beings. They have families. They have li- – this is their livelihood. This is their job. Um, and uh, I, I think that it's important to remember that, in, that the human element that's involved. All right, last out. Here we go. Last question. One more question. I know we're running out of time, but I had to get this one in. This is from at Mike underscore Kavanaugh. Does Daryl have a burner account to see what Watson posts on Twitter? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, That's a great question. And the the honest-to-God answer is no. I have one Twitter account, and that is it. Fun story. (laughs) So when the fans signed on in 2011 and, and I was hired, uh, the, the the company mandated that I include fan in my account because my account used to be at right or wrong. Correct. And they came to me and said, Daryl, you have to put fan in your account. You work for me. Said, okay, no problem. Within like two minutes of me changing my Twitter handle, somebody grabbed my original Twitter handle at right oh, or wrong. Oh, no. And parked it. Yeah. 
And so I lost that. And there's a bunch of – so understand, there is only one account that I have, and it's at right or wrong fan. I don't have burner accounts. Look, I don't have the energy to run my own account at times, let alone to have a burner account. So I, I know that people do that. I know fans do it, and it, it's hysterical because I will block a fan – uh, because they said something that I consider to be offensive or disrespectful to me. And I'm like, well, fine, I'm going to do you the solid and block you because clearly you don't like me. And then you get upset because I block you. And I will see, hey, you're, you're a jerk because you blocked this account. And it's clearly uh, their like second, their backup Twitter account. So I am amused that fans have those backup <laughs> accounts or whatever. But I promise you, if it's not right or wrong fan on Twitter, it is not me. I just don't have the time or energy to have secondary burner accounts. I really don't. And you know what? It doesn't matter. Like, it really doesn't matter enough to me to have a burner account as well. But great question. That, I appreciate the chuckle. I kind of needed that. He's Daryl Ryder. Meredith Kane, outstanding job today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Baskin, do you have a burner account? I do not have a burner okay. account. I I, I got to tell you. I had like, to get you on the record. Uh, no, I don't have a burner account. Especially like when we first started. When we first started, I, I would get angry at some of the tweets we got on the radio. And, and then it would affect the whole show and it would affect everything. And then all of a sudden I found that mute button and I found serenity. <laughs> at Game Day CLE is my burner account. <laughs> all right, kids, we got a roll. It was a great show. We'll talk to you again. Uh, again, we'll probably drop another podcast on Monday, and we like to drop them on Mondays and Thursdays. So, But, you know, when something happens, we'll be right there for you, and we got you back. Uh, it's always game day in Cleveland, uh, produced by Meredith Kane. Thank you very much. Daryl Ryder, he's, that's him. I'm Andy Baskin. If you like what you are hearing, remember to subscribe to the It's Always Game Day in Cleveland feed. Remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast, and in the future, if you want to be a part of the show, at Game Day CLE. It's always game day in Cleveland.